Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to the show. Today we have Nader Tahomi. Tohami. Tohami. Yeah. Welcome to the show, buddy. Thanks for having me, John. <laughs> Absolute pleasure. I mean, what an incredible day. I'm so excited. We're inside the Royal Page Signature Office, and you know, we're colleagues here, and that's how we got to know each other. And you do something unique compared to most people. Yes. But we're going to start off by getting you to tell you a bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, how you got there, and we're going to dig in deep. All right, great. Well, uh, again, my name is Nader Tohami. I'm the uh, team lead at Menzel Realty. And um, what uh, I've been doing for the last like six years is kind of led up to like this moment <laughs> where, um, you know, we all had like down years during COVID. And um, I was looking for something else to do, like in my spare time. And that's kind of when I started a uh, halal investing platform on social media and it kind of blew up for whatever reason it did. And um, that actually got me to um, get exposure, like not just, um, you know, within our own community, but, you know, globally for the most part. Um, that brought the right people to my door for the most part and uh, it kind of um, exposed me to this institution who's an islamic financial institution here in in ontario uh, in menzel um, so when i got to know the ceo a little bit more he was trying to get uh, i guess more of a competitive advantage by kind of starting their own brokerage and um, i told him you know what we can get started right away we can just do a team like here at Royal LePage and uh, just brand it Menzel Realty and kind of that's how, what got the ball rolling and it's uh, it's been crazy ever since. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty awesome, man. Like, uh, and you brought up something, the whole hello uh, financing, hello uh, like thing, right? Like, like explain that. I mean, I kind of got the idea because you told me about it, but yeah. you're like the first person I've ever heard that from. I'm like, huh? what is that? <laughs> so um, halal financing, for the most part, is done according to Islamic principles. And uh, essentially, the, the interest portion of most transactions is what's impermissible for most Muslims, uh, or for all Muslims, for the most part. Um, I, again, like there's certain... Um, you know, if there's a necessity there, then they can obviously go ahead with it. But for the most part, you should try to avoid it as much as possible. So when we take a look at a product that's offered conventionally through normal banks, um, it's just the lending of money and this uh, profit of money is impermissible. This is what like we dub as riba, which is um, basically usury, right? So essentially what we've tried to do is to offer a product that eliminates this. And the only way to do it is through um, basically a profit structure, either through a uh, like a profit disclosed sale or through a partnership, right? So these are the two different structures that we have. One is called the Murabaha, which is the profit disclosed sale. And one is the Musharaka, which is the partnership. And both of these are a little bit different in terms of uh, the structure that they offer, but at the end of the day, it's an end to a mean, right? So uh, it basically avoids the whole interest, and at the same time, it gives a um, it opens up the portfolio for risk to be shared as well. So if there's a loss in equity, then the financing institution also shares in that. Like this isn't what a regular conventional product would offer these days. So it's more fair at the end of the day, and it's more of an ethical product rather than, you know, like having banks just keep making money. And if you can't make payments, they kind of force you out and they sell your property and then you're basically stuck paying the bill. That's actually kind of interesting, right? Like, that's not, like, wow. Uh, it's like, you know, sharing the loss and all that, that's, that's kind of unique. I mean, like, how do you determine, like, the profit? Like, because you're saying it's like, like, like it's an agreed profit. Like, yeah. how, how does that work out? So essentially, we have two different markets here in Canada where you can get money from, right? So you have the money markets and you have the capital markets. So obviously, the money markets are a lot cheaper, and, um, and that's basically determined by what the overnight rate is from the banks. Um, when you have a, um, 
a capital product that's more determined by the bond market. So um, generally speaking, um, this is what people would see as a low risk asset in terms of, uh, you know, like if you get like a GIC or something, you know what that interest rate is going to be. So essentially, this is where the benchmark is, is the bond market, because this is what the minimum investment that would make it worthwhile for another investor to kind of like jump in is if they're getting something above and beyond what like the bonds would offer them in, in the open market. Right. Okay. I get that. So, I mean, is there a predetermined uh, amount? Like, is like for example, if the bond, like, is it just matching the bonds? Like if the bonds 4.8%? Yeah. Have, so um, with the Menzel Musharka product, like the, uh, the rate is determined by the uh, five-year Canada bond, and it's generally like uh, primed up by like an extra three hundred points. Okay, that makes sense. And you guys, uh, you were saying something about sharing the equity, we're sharing the loss and sharing the. Like, yeah. How does that work? So basically, what ends up happening, like I'll I'll talk more about like the Musharaka, which is the partnership, because this probably makes the most sense. Um, what ends up happening is if, let's say, for example, we purchased a home this year and it's worth 500000 and then all of a sudden, God forbid, the market goes down, kind of like what happened in January last year. Um, so what ends up happening now, you're, you feel like you need to sell or there was something that came up where you have to sell, like loss of job or uh, death in the family or there was a fire or there's a flood or some sort of event that's beyond your own control and you're forced to sell. And now the market is lower. So let's say the house is worth now 400,000. So there's a 100K loss right now. What ends up happening is once the sale is concluded, whatever percentage of ownership at that time is what is divided by the final sale price. So if like the financial institution's at 80% and you're at 20%, you get 20% of the sale proceeds and they get 80% of the sale proceeds. So essentially now the financial institution's at a loss as well. Uh, they haven't been able to recover all of the funds. And this is what kind of like makes it like uh, acceptable from an Islamic standpoint. But now let's like give you another example where now you have somebody who just wants to sell, like if there's no like reason for him to sell, they just wanted to sell in a down market. Now it automatically switches to like the business partnership where let's assume we have two partners. One person wants to sell the business and the other one doesn't want to sell. So if you're forcing a sale, you have to pay this person back whatever you put in, like initially, right? So whatever funding is currently outstanding in this scenario, then this is what's owed back. And this is probably the fairest way to kind of do it. Right, okay, that makes sense. So it is a partner. So you share the, the profits, you share the loss. But you see, here's the thing. Um, they don't share in the profits. So essentially they've molded it so that it would be as close as possible to a conventional product. Uh, essentially, when you're purchasing shares on a monthly basis through like the mortgage payment, this uh, share at a profit gives you an entitlement of exclusive use of the property and full ownership of whatever profit comes out of the property. So in the same scenario where you bought in year one at 500K and now the market's gone up and you're selling in year two at 550 whatever is left over after you've uh, paid your realtor fees and so on and so forth, you get to keep that as your profit as long as you pay back whatever the funding amount is. So you get to pull out your own equity, which is the 20% that you put down, plus whatever profit that you made after the transaction. Right, okay, okay, I get, yeah, I kind of get that. That's, that's very interesting. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, like how did you come across it? Like, like, what were you like i said you got to know the ceo right mm -hmm. so i got that part mm -hmm. um but were you just searching for this or or is it something that just presented itself well honestly like i mean it was always interesting like because again i being a muslim myself i know that there is a need for it in the community and initially before i was on their radar um i had initially tried to reach out to them to get more information about it um, again, they were just a startup at that point, right? So now it, we're in a completely different area than we were when we first like started Menzel Realty. Now we don't really have like 
a problem when it comes to funding and the funding restraints that we had earlier. And the more that our AUM continues to grow with more properties, like up till now, we've probably funded about 40 properties and we're on target to probably fund 100 properties by the end of this year. So uh, the more that our fund grows, the more that we uh, attract institutional investors and uh, it just it makes it a lot easier for uh, Muslims who are looking for a product, not just like right now in Ontario, we've already launched in Alberta as well, um, to have access to this kind of program, which is extremely unique, like compared to like what's uh, currently offered in the market. Yeah, definitely, definitely unique. I mean, it's like I said before, you have never heard of this. Yeah. So it's, uh, and there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, it's actually unique and great. Like, I mean, wow, mm-hmm. right? Like. Um, but my question here is going to be mm-hmm. like now in terms of this product, mm-hmm. is it uh, like do you guys just service the Muslim community or can would you guys get involved with anybody who is interested in being part of it? It's not just restricted to Muslims like we're being dubbed as an ethical uh, product, right? Like uh, over at Menzel, like again, because we're following our own faith and we're following like Sharia principles. Um, automatically this becomes like an ethical thing too. So like what I was telling you earlier, um, like the the way that the conventional products are set up these days, it doesn't, it's not really that fair to the end uh, consumer if there's something that happens. Like normally people who buy their homes, they make their mortgage payments, everything's great until there's an issue. Then this is where you get like the full, full wrath of what like, Um, we try to avoid as Muslims in terms of like usury. So now um, you're you're subject to losing your home, you're subject to uh, getting sued, you're subject to um, getting your home forcefully sold as a power of sale, which we've seen a lot lately because of people not being able to make their mortgage payments since the interest rate kind of exploded by 4,000% over the course of like six months. So it's made it a lot harder for um, people to kind of avoid the subject of ethical banking and ethical financing. So at the end of the day, it's not just for Muslims, it's for anyone who's looking to kind of like get out of the rat race uh, using like these uh, conventional banks. Absolutely, that's a, that's a great, great thing. Now, my question here is gonna be <laughs> with, um, with uh, like, what would have been your biggest struggle throughout this? Like getting into it, you got into it. I mean, like, it's one of those things that, like you said, anybody can get into it. Like, I mean, right? But what happens if somebody does stop paying? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I know based on the principle, that's not what's supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. But just let's look at normal humanity. Yeah. And there's times that people are in, in trouble and they don't want to sell, even though they should sell. Exactly. Um, so what what happens in that circumstance? Like I said, like there's always a discussion that happens. It's not like an automatic like a process that begins to start. So um, basically the financial institution will reach out to the client or the partner or whatever it is, like the scenario at that point. And um, they would try to ascertain what like the issue is. Right. And essentially what they can do is kind of push pause on the product until, you know, they're able to resolve the issue if that's what is like, you know, forecasted. So let's say if you lost your job and you're looking for a new one. uh, So with you're expected to probably in a few months get it. So it's okay. We're just going to like, you know, move these payments to the end of the term and we'll start like over like once you've uh, settled into your job now. If it's permanent, like you can't, like then you have to start exploring the 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 sale of the property. Like there's no way around it. Like at this point, there like the only way that would be fair for both parties is if you get whatever you put into it plus whatever profit is expected at the current market, and then the institution gets back their whatever outstanding funding there is, uh, and that's generally what is seen as acceptable. Uh, but you know with Working with the community that I do, a lot of these people are immigrants and first-time home buyers, um, especially ones who've been living in Canada for a long time and been renting for such a long time. Once they get this house, that's it. Like for them, this is like the goal that they've always wanted to achieve. So, in terms of default, like we haven't had any defaults yet, and we don't 
forecast that there will be an issue with these for, uh, with a default. Again, a lot of these people make really good money here. They're um, you know parts of the community, and they've been here for ages, and they just haven't been able to to buy it. Like even though the temptation was there, especially with the low rates kind of dangling, right. especially for us trying to get into the market with higher rates, um, it, it makes it really difficult. Because again, I I have like conversations all the time. And out of like 10 people that I talk to, two are on board, two tell you you're a crook, and then the other six are waiting to be inspired and they compare it to the bank. They're like, well, this place is offering me this much for this house and I get approved for this much, but you guys are way more expensive. Like, what? can you tell me what's happening here? But when you in, understand the actual structure and why like, we've had to model it the way it is, then you start to understand why there's a difference in 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 the prices because again it is a niche product and it is like targeted to a certain community yeah right that's exactly with that being said like how do you structure approvals there right like i mean because it's got to be unique and different compared to normal yeah it works the same way like a bank would approve you so basically you would submit all your financial documents um you take a look at like their income you take a look at their their credit uh you take a look at any outstanding debts um obviously the like it's more legit in terms of like the procedure of where they take a look at where your income is coming from. It's not as flexible as like some of the banks or credit unions are. Um, and generally speaking, um, like let's say for example, at the current like rates, you'd probably be qualified at like three and a half times your income. You need a minimum credit uh, score of 680, which for some reason is a struggle for some like people of our community because they come here and they try to avoid all credit whatsoever. I've even had clients that have a zero credit score after being here for like six years. So it's, um, it's quite fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like, so it's, it's typical requirements, like, like what you would require for a bank, um, except like the stress test is a little bit higher just because the rates are already higher. So Currently, like let's say the Musharaka, which is the partnership one, uh, is currently at six percent. So we have to stress test at eight percent. So automatically, that puts us at a bit of a disadvantage in terms of the bank, in terms of the amount of, that's being approved at. Uh, the second part is the GDS, right? So uh, for those people who don't know what a GDS is, it's the gross uh, debt service, which is um, essentially like what, how much of a percentage of the dwelling cost versus your monthly salary is allowable. So most banks will target anywhere from 40 to 50%. Um, over at Menzel, we're at like 38 and a half. So we try to make sure that you're like living comfortably when you can afford your home. Believe it or not, the banks are usually actually 38%. Mm-hmm. Um, well, A-lenders were like the top five banks. Um, or at 38%, uh, what GDS, I think TDS is the 44%. Yeah, again, like for most, again, like when I'm dealing with most like banks as well, like it really depends on the client, how much they push that GDS up, right? So uh, I had a client working with TD the other day and their, their GDS was at 46% for this guy because he's like got an 800 credit score and whatnot. So <laughs> it, um, it really depends. Like, again, like there's no like straight criteria when it comes to like working with a lenders. Um, it really depends on the client that's with them and the kind of relationship that they have with their bank already. Uh, but with Menzel, it's pretty straightforward. It's just, that's generally what it is. Makes sense. Now, I mean, like anything, in life, we have a choice of what we're gonna do for life. How did you get choose real estate? Like, wow. So, um, my story is a little different than most, but um, like, what ended up happening is that I've always kind of been my own boss, one way or the other, um, or I've always been in family businesses. So, when I graduated from university, I uh, went to McMaster and I uh, graduated with a BA in economics and marketing. Um, I initially had like a job lined up, but, um, my dad wanted me to help with our supermarket. So I ended up getting into that. And after a while, um, I ended up getting into the, uh, restaurant industry and, um, I had a few restaurants as well. Um, and then when my dad passed away, 
um, it was much tougher to kind of handle these businesses on my own. And on top of that, the diagnosis of my youngest son with autism. At that point, he was around like three years old. And we were just getting into the whole like system just to get him the just to get him the uh, the treatment that he needs. This obviously needed a lot of time and working at a restaurant doesn't give you like any flexibility in your schedule. Like I'm working from the morning to the night. I'm the HR department. I'm like the one who's doing all the ordering. I'm the one who's on the floor. So it didn't make sense for me uh, logistically at that point. So I tried to think of something that would free up my schedule a little bit and make it a little bit, um, you know, more flexible, but still have the income earning potential and real estate was right there. And I've always been fascinated with real estate and we've always had, um, you know, like a love hate relationship with, (laughs) with real estate. But, um, essentially we, we had like commercial properties we've had like investment properties. So for me, the process wasn't like unfamiliar. Um, so when I decided to like take the jump and go like hundred percent full time into real estate, um, it was scary. Like, I mean, my first year I only did like three deals, <laughs> right? And like one of them was a lease, but you learn a lot. Like you try to chase a lot of, um, you know, leads. I mean, that's generally what our job is, is to generate leads, right? Yeah. Um, but um, as far as like the flexibility and schedule goes, like now that I'm really busy, there is no flexibility in my schedule either. Like it's, it's pretty <laughs> crazy. Um, and again, for those who are, um, you know, high producing like in this industry like you learn pretty quickly that if you're not putting any effort into you and your business you're not going to make any money especially when the majority of the business is controlled by like the top 10 percent you're literally not going to see like any business whatsoever so yeah, that, that's probably the main reason why I got into the business. And, you know, I've been blessed, like, over the years, I've had a lot of um, mentoring, especially in our office. Uh, Mike Kennelly is, like, the best. Like, he um, was, like, probably one of the first, like, managers that uh, kind of took me under their wing and just, like, you know, taught me the ropes. Um, but, yeah, like, it's... Um, it's been a crazy journey and I'm glad to see where I'm at today. <laughs> Which is phenomenal, right? You, you got a point there. Like too many people out there think that uh, they get their license, you know, get themselves a BMW, <laughs> stick the sign in a lot and uh, they're going to make a fortune. And it's really that simple. Exactly. Which, uh, <laughs> as you said, like the first de- year you only did three deals and one of them was a lease. Yeah. Um, my first year, I started mid year. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be fair, but in that six months, I think I've done. I only did one uh, sale, one lease, or something silly like that. Mm-hmm. And the sale was my brother, so wow. it was not even like I found a new client that I didn't, you know, exactly. know where it was coming from. But I thought, just like everybody else, I'm gonna submit, send out a few flyers, do a few <laughs> uh, just listed things, um, do a couple posts, and my phone's gonna ring off the hook because I got, you know, because I'm an amazing person. Yeah. And then a dose of reality hit. <laughs> Honestly, like what ends up happening is that um, you have to really get used to the word no a lot, you know? And that's kind of like what kind of was refreshing for me at that point. You got to see who really appreciated you and who really didn't at that time. Like, especially when you're a new agent, they tell you, reach out to everybody in your circle, reach like automatically, hey, I'm your new agent, nice to meet you. it doesn't work that way. Like, I mean, a lot of these people, they grew up with you, so they know what kind of person you are. So a lot of the time they'll avoid you. And again, they won't come to you until you're actually established. And now you're this uh, professional. So now they respect you more at what you're doing. And I think that's what happened. What's happened to me lately, where now I'm starting to get the respect of my own inner circle. And um, that's just kind of like helped, you know, um, justify like just how well you are doing in, in this industry, actually. Yeah, well, everyone wants to jump on to uh, success when they see it. Exactly. <laughs> so, with that being said, right, I mean, it goes to the same thing. I mean, like, and people can get offended sometimes, you know, like, oh, you know, my uh, cousin bought with somebody else, or my brother bought with somebody else, or my mother, or whatever, mm-hmm. right? What ends up happening is it's, it's like you said, they know you, and they know you're new, and they get nervous, right? Plus, because remember, we're in also, not only we are we in an industry that's uh, a lot of money 
you know, is at stake. Yeah. They uh, are also nervous because they got to reveal things they may not want to reveal to you because they're unsure. Yeah. So it's like you said, after you start building and they start seeing you everywhere, then they start thinking about it and going, okay, maybe, maybe he can help me now. Absolutely. Like, you know, it, maybe it might not like be like automatic, but maybe when your uh, your face uh, replaces Sam McDaddy's on one of those billboards, then maybe they'll uh, <laughs> they'll get in line. <laughs> That's hilarious. So now I want to touch upon uh, social media, right? Mm-hmm. There's so many people think that social media is everything. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that it's not important. I mean, there is a place for it. And I think uh, it's important, especially for branding. I mean, for God's sakes, we're doing a podcast, which is video, and where's that going to go? <laughs> Online. Right, exactly. So there is a place for it, and there is some importance to it. Mm-hmm. But too many people get into the industry thinking that uh, their social posts are the be-all and end-all, and that's going to create the magical, wonderful you know, solution they're searching for. Mm-hmm. What is your take on social media? What would you suggest to a new agent? Oh, man. I mean, the, the industry's changed so much over the last even, like, four years, let alone the last six years. Um, and again, like when people tell you this is what you should be doing, um, a lot of the time now at this point, it's become saturated. So you got to look for something new. And that's kind of like what I did when I first got into real estate. And the way that I was generating my leads is, first of all, I hated cold calling. Like cold calling is the worst. And I don't wish it upon anyone who has to do this for a full-time job. It's just awful, right? Um, And then the next thing I did was door knocking. And I did get some success, but it's not as successful as some, like, agents like to do it. Um, It needs a special kind of person to do it. I feel like I could be that person, and I've had success. But it's just that um, a lot of the time I... I, um, I look too much into my own feelings and I get hurt a lot. So um, it, it's not for me. Like the, the constant rejection is not like healthy. Um, then like working with social media or when I, when I started to really find my success was when I started putting ads on Facebook. And um, it wasn't really ads. Like they had like the marketplace at that time was a lot easier to kind of work with. You just find a a listing that's um, allowing people to advertise and you just throw this on there. And I used to get like hundreds of leads a week just by doing like maybe 10 listings a day. Just, you know, people asking about it. Um, And then I would meet these clients and then I would eventually become the realtor and we'd actually find something to do. Uh, and again, like this was an unconventional mean at the time, but then when you start to see there's a little bit of success, uh, then Facebook changes the rules and then all of a sudden now it becomes somebody's program or course that they're selling to you, how to get leads on Facebook. But nobody tells you that you're never going to close these leads. They're all shit leads, right? <laughs> <laughs> so um, it, the whole thing is, is that you have to think of um, being in real estate that a lot of the time when you work with clients, um, they're essentially working for you like maybe once every like five, 10 years. Because once they've made that purchase, that's it. You have to move on to the next. So essentially you have to learn that your job isn't to sell homes or buy homes. It's to continuously have this inflow of uh, leads or have a pipeline set up so that you can generate these leads. Social media helps. And it helps continuously keep, like, you know, your old pipeline who can refer you new business um, top of mind, right? And this is generally what you want to do is to stay top of mind with all your former clients who've had success with you to continue being that, like, you know, advertising billboard on your behalf, right? Um, And I think that's kind of what I've learned, like, over the years is that, uh, yeah, like social media can definitely help get out there, do whatever you can. Because, again, it's free for the most part. It just costs you your time. Uh, But in order to be really, truly successful and only rely on it, you have to be doing something very unique or, like, get some sort of exposure that would allow you to continuously get a pipeline and be kind of like, you know, the first person who's like done this or one of the early like adopters and like whatever that is for the most part. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I agree with you. And the consistency is the key part to it. And it's not what people expect today where you're going to do something for three weeks and expect to, uh, you know, sell out because you've done it for three weeks. This is one of those things that it's like you can go six to eight months without having one damn sale from your efforts. And it's, knowing that 
You gotta continuously keep doing consistently and figure out what's getting you replies, what's not getting you replies, what's getting you told off, what's getting you, uh, you know, the attaboys. Figure out what people are responding to and then basically try to alter your message so it resonates with the clientele that you're after. That's my personal thought and opinion. Absolutely. And uh, I mean, a lot of the time you can brush people the wrong way when uh, your experience comes to the surface. Like when you're telling somebody the way that they should approach it. Um, like a lot of the time, like let's say you meet a new client and they, they're they ready to go see homes or they've already seen homes with like six other realtors or they've gone to open houses for the last like three months before you were introduced to them. And then you tell them, hey, we need to get a pre-approval. They don't understand this. They they don't get the fact that you have to, there's a certain way to be successful, especially in a low inventory market that we're currently in, is to be overly prepared. So first you need to get your finances in order, get a pre-approval, know how much you can actually afford. Uh, the next version of the client is like, yeah, I have a property back home and when I sell it, I'll have the money. So go sell it, bring the money, have it in Canada, and then we can start to explore, um, you know, properties on the market. Like you don't want to risk like getting into an agreement when you don't even have the cash or the capital to close. Um, and again, once you're working with these clients, a lot of the time, especially the way properties are marketed these days where they um, are putting the price well below like what the market value is, um, you tell them, hey, we shouldn't see this because this is going to be out of budget. But it's listed at like $599 and I'm approved to like $800. It's like, yeah, this house is going to sell for like a million. <laughs> so I, a lot of the time it takes a, a lot of effort to kind of get them to see what you've seen. But and a lot of the time they don't really get it. So this is kind of like where the confusion can come from when you're working with new clients who haven't been used to working with such an experienced realtor. Because we have over 70,000 realtors in like the Toronto real estate board and more than half of them don't even do a deal or only do one deal. So obviously they're going to like waste their time and take people right and left. So when like you get one person who's telling you, no, you don't like it. And then you're like, mm -hmm. okay, I'm going to go find another realtor. And at that time I'm like, okay, you can go find someone else. I'm, if you're not going to follow like the, the basic rules, I'm too busy to, you know, waste my time with somebody who's just going to take me from home to home to home. I'm not like a tour guide. I'm helping you achieve like a goal that you're looking for. Well, that, that's the thing, right? You, you said it there. I mean, it's about, uh, about achieving the results and goal that you're after and you're expressing your, um, your experience and your knowledge and you're, and you're trying to find common ground. Now, when it comes to a new agent, they got to realize that, you're going to talk to people that don't see eye to eye. That's okay. Yeah. Just keep on moving forward because you're not there to get everybody. And the more you try to get everybody, the more you're going to end up with nobody. Exactly. And again, it's funny that you mentioned like a lot of new agents like out there, like I've noticed a lot of new podcasts show up with like, you know, realtors who are like literally one or two months in the industry and they're branding themselves as experts. And it's kind of sad to see like, cause it's like, we take our jobs seriously and we work hard on our craft. And then you have like this guy who's been living in his mom's basement forever. And he's just starting a podcast and pretending to be an expert when he works with clients, it's just going to um, not end up well for them if he's not working on learning the industry from the inside out and talking to experts and learning. Um, and that's probably one of the things that I should have done when I first got into the industry is probably go to a team and work on a team and like get that, you know, that knowledge of the industry. And instead of having to learn on my own, it's cost me a lot of money and thank God I had some savings and my mom helped me out a lot. <laughs> but, um, you know, after like year three, you're, you're now you're primed, you're ready after learning from your mistakes to start, you know, really working and like scaling up your business. Benatta, come on, man. They're, 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 they're experts. They've, they've done yeah. six courses. Oh, my God. And now they're offering their own course, right? For the low price of $99 a month, you can learn from this real estate guru <laughs> who's only had his license for a month. Oh, the best one is that they're a coach now. They've sold one property in three years, but they're coaching people on how to sell. Oh, man. 
I mean, now they're just diversifying their their business, right? Like they're not really realtors; they're uh, con artists, right? Yeah, really. It's uh, again, you know what? I commend. Let, let, let's be clear. I commend people, whether they've been a week in the business, two weeks in the business, two years, ten years. I commend them for getting on video and trying to make a name for themselves. Yeah. Where my point of view is, don't pretend to have an experience you've never had. Instead, share the knowledge you do have, give out your message, share your message, share what you can do for others, how can you help other people, and, and do that through the honest way, rather than pretending that uh, you're something that you've never been. Exactly. And you know what, I did lose a lot of business when I was early on in the industry because I didn't understand that fact that, you know, people do value experience, right? They're not just going to hire you because they like you, right? Um, I like, again, like they'll ask you straight up, how many homes have you sold in this area? Well, I've always tried to redirect it to my brokerage. It's like our brokerage is very active in this area. Like whenever you can't answer the, the question yourself, you can hide behind like, you know, roll a page signature and be like, we're the largest brokerage in the GTA. We have over 1400 agents. We have three offices that are servicing most of Ontario. You have to work this pitch because until you start to develop your own experience and your own uh, like achievements, then working with a big brokerage, working with a good team, this is kind of like what your backbone is for uh, pitching it to clients who value like the experience. Right, which is also why I believe that in the beginning, people should be talking to everybody they know. And the key component, I really do believe the key component in this business is, is that people are going to deal with people they know, like, and trust. Mm -hmm. But they're going to have to get to know you and like you and trust you over time. It's not going to be instant just because you showed up. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, the key word is, like you said before, top of mind, right? As long as people are top of mind, you showcase what you learn. And I believe in honesty. You know, don't say I'm a veteran. I've done 300 deals. And meanwhile, you know, the team you're on has done 300 deals. You, you're, you've yeah. been on that team for about two days. And, uh, you know, just be honest, right? And say, hey, you know what? I'm fresh out of the gate. I'm educated, but I got a good team behind me that will be a part of the transaction and help out. Mm -hmm. Why not? Right? Like that, that, that shows that it shows the integrity. It shows the honesty. And it shows that you have a bunch of people behind you that are willing to get involved to make sure that the experience and the deal that you're after goes as planned. Absolutely. So now with that being said, you uh, got into investments, right? Because we're talking about you got into commercial, residential. Mm -hmm. Now, most times people look at investments as in, you know, I bought a home that I live in and that as if that's their investment. Mm -hmm. Now, I always say that's not the investment. That's the inexpense. That's the home you live in. Um, because it's not like you're going to leave your house and sleep in the ditch to collect the money. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to buy something else. So when you sell high, you're going to buy high. When you sell low, you're going to buy low. It's kind of the same thing. That money kind of just changes over. Now, there's always downsizing, but downsizing is not as big as, as it used to be in the past. And what I mean is, once upon a time, you used to get these 4,000 square foot uh, giant monster homes that you would sell for a million dollars and then you can buy a bungalow for like 500,000 and then you bank the 500 grand and that's your uh, retirement. Where uh, today's uh, era, what ends up happening is you have the 4,000 square foot home that you might sell for 1.5 million, then you're gonna buy your bungalow for 1.35 <laughs> and that's really not gonna be enough to retire on. Yeah. So with that being said, also everyone focuses on residential, mm -hmm. you know, single family homes. You mentioned commercial, so that's where you piqued my interest there. So <laughs> what was your first investment? Explain how that came about. Oh, boy. So we had, this was more of our family, like, property. So we bought a strip mall in Etobicoke, and um, there was about 16 units there. Um, at that time, um, I think it was, like, $5.5 for the whole thing. And uh, um, for the most part, like, even with like say the mortgage every month, even with all the expenses, you were still cash positive. But the whole thing is, is that um, unless you have like a good management team to like help you, um, you know, on the day to day, 
you're really going to suffer with managing a property like this. So, I mean, if you're kind of looking for like, you know, a smaller scale commercial uh, property, like there's a lot of these, uh, you know, live work kind of properties that have been marketed recently where um, you can live upstairs and then have your business downstairs. Um, this isn't a bad, like, you know, concept for the most part. Um, I think, though, is that, and this can probably be managed by a regular person on a day-to-day because you literally only have, like, two or three tenants that you have to deal with. But essentially, I feel like like wealth will start to accumulate when you start looking outside of your own market. Like, the GTA is one of those markets that's really difficult to be cash positive with, like, a 20% down payment. Um you have to really go outside of these and maybe you start becoming like cash positive on like a rental uh, when you go to like uh, communities like London or Chatham or Windsor, or even if you're going like up north, like Sudbury, like Sudbury is a really good market for investors, um, especially when you have like ROIs in, in the neighborhood of like, you know, 10 or 12%, which is unheard of in the GTA. You're looking, you're working on cap rates of like 4%. And by cap rate, I mean like what your like your profit is compared to the price that you paid on an annual basis, um, and that's generally what the problem is with commercial is that the cap rates in Toronto have stayed closer to like three or four percent, where like if you take a look at certain residential ones, um, like there there are much higher cap rates. They're always like in the in the double digits if you get a really good deal. Um, but again, like there's always positives and negatives to both industries. Like on the residential side, we have one of the worst uh, laws for landlords uh, here in Ontario under the RTA, where if you get a really bad tenant, you're going to suffer and will lose a lot of money. But in commercial, you don't have this problem. If they start paying rent first month, you just change the locks and they're out. You know, so um, there, there is a lot of... Um, like back and forth that you have to go through when you're trying to like, uh, you know, get investment properties. But I think the best thing to do is if you have like zero today and you're starting to build an investment, probably now's the time to start looking at, you know, maybe starting to save money and put it into equities. Like you can put it into like a regular S&P 500 fund and just let it build over time until you have enough capital that you can actually now deploy to buy real estate. The whole thing is that you actually have to start saving and you start having a plan and having, you know, like you can't like whatever comes in, you spend it every month. There's always got to be, um, you know, a rhyme to the reason for everything. And yeah, yeah. Uh, at the end of the day, when you're trying to think about your retirement, because this is eventually why people invest is so that they can live comfortably and not have to work the rest of their lives. Um is to have a plan, realize what your capabilities are. And even for some people, it may not make sense to even start investing because of their their income is low or their uh, expenses on the daily are high. So, I mean, a lot of people goat you into saying that, hey, uh, stop buying your coffee at Tim Hortons every day and put it into a savings account. That's not what's making you poor and that's, what's, that's not what's stopping you from investing. What's stopping you from investing is your actual income. So focus on growing your income and then saving and then building that wealth. And then maybe you can diversify and then get into like real estate and get into commercial or residential, whatever it is. How a friggin' Louia. <laughs> There's so many things. I, I agree with you about that whole, you know, don't buy your coffee at Tim Hortons and all that <laughs> crap. Like it's like, no, you, you have a spending problem. No, you have a friggin' income problem. Yeah. That is the main thing. If you have to cut out your coffee to be able to put a dollar away, you got a fucking income problem. <laughs> you need to do something about it, right? Like get a second job, you know, invest in something that pays returns. How, do something different. Maybe get a cheaper phone. Do something different than what you're doing because you need to make more money, not worry about saving a dollar. Exactly. We're in the side hustle era right now. Like regular jobs aren't going to cut it anymore. And you literally need to at least be making three figures and on the higher end of that, just so that you can survive in this economy. Yeah, well, here's, here's the other thing, right? Like, here's another point. And a lot of people resist this. And maybe 20 years ago, that was okay. But today, you got to sacrifice sometimes to get ahead. 
why not get a place where you can move into and have renters living with you and not necessarily even on the same floor. You get a bungalow, live in the basement if you're a single person, Mm -hmm. live in the basement, have someone live upstairs so you collect higher rent so that when you're enough, when you're there and you accumulate enough equity and you have enough savings from that, you can use that extra to be able to move into something you actually want to move in without the renters. Mm -hmm. But nobody wants to do that. Everybody wants everything right now. It's uh, now it's dubbed as house hacking, right? So how do you hack a house? You buy a house and you rent out the rest of the rooms. You live in one, and then if you have a three bedroom, you have two bedrooms that are rented out. I mean, that's an easy way to like have somebody contribute to your mortgage every month. And I've known people who are successful in doing so, but not everybody has the luxury of being able to do it. So if you're single and you're living by yourself, this is the opportune time to do that. You know, like if you're having your family, maybe it's not, you know, feasible that you have other people living with you. But, um, you know, to each his own, like everybody's got to find a way to like kind of make it work. (laughs) Yeah. But the point I'm getting at is the fact that you got to do something to get your income up or to get some form of return so that you're not trying to, you know, build your retirement off of that dollar seventy five Tim Hortons coffee. Exactly. Right. Like it's got to be something beyond that. So but going back into the investments. What do you think of real estate REITs? So REITs are a really good product um, for you to, you know, build some wealth and diversify in your own portfolios. Um, They give you a steady income stream every month in the form of dividends. um, And they're fairly secure, right? So especially when you're dealing with major REITs, like when you're dealing with uh, REITs like Rio Can or Smart Centers or of the like, um, they're generally like forecasting, you know, years ahead. And what I've seen recently in these major REITs is now that they're starting to shift their portfolio to more of a residential uh, side as opposed to being strictly commercial. Uh, like Rio can, for the most part, and most of their developments across the GTA have sectioned off parts of it to generate income-producing residential properties. Um, like, for example, the one here at like Her Ontario in Bristol, when Heart Sushi burned down, <laughs> they essentially took it as an opportunity to like tear down that entire section. And now there's going to be two rental-only buildings that are going to be built. Uh, so you're talking about an extra... 300 units of real estate that's coming onto the market that's going to be rent only and they're generating this rental income so REITs are a really good product especially when you're dealing with uh, really good REITs Um, and like there's all sorts of different types of REITs they're not just necessarily the commercial ones but there's specific ones like if you take a look at um like top of mind, like public storage. They're also a REIT, right? Like their land is essentially like used so that they can build storage facilities, right? Or you have like more uh, specific ones like Prologis who like focus on logistics. So uh, some of their major tenants include like Walmart, American Eagle and Gap. Uh, So, and even Amazon is one of the the um, the clients that deals with uh, Prologis. So again, it, it's it's all about the the type of investment that you get into. And again, diversifying is good within your own portfolio, but diversifying too much is probably like going to hurt you long term. Like you're you're just going to be like at a like a regular return as opposed to like trying to maximize it by maybe taking on some risk. But yeah, like REITs are not really a risky product, um, only in the type of industry that they're targeting. Right, but uh, yeah, see, for me, I think of REITs as a way of people to be in real estate when they cannot get their own unit, so they can still be in the real estate market and invest in that and take the advantage of the fact that they have consistent returns Mm -hmm. until they're ready to be able to use the money for their own down payment. Absolutely, and that's kind of like what I touched on earlier. Like you wanna start investing. Like, I mean, not necessarily buying a property. Like just because you buy an investment property doesn't dub you as an investor. You could be a savvy investor without having to own a single piece of real estate yourself. You can invest in REITs, you can invest, uh, invest in equities, you can invest in like whatever, like you can look at startups, like even like Menzel where I'm at, like they had a front founder, um, like, you know, seating round at one point and now they're seating again. 
looking for extra capital. So, I mean, like it really like opens up your diversity when it comes to your investing is by um, kind of like categorizing it in terms of opportunities. So um, the easiest way is to start like just investing into like stocks and crypto and whatever it is, um, and then start building up your portfolio, maybe go into real estate, then maybe take a bit of risks and look at like brand new ventures, trying to like, you know, fund like, you know, startups and companies that way. Um, and just like kind of like play with your risk. If you have a long-term, uh, uh, if you have like a long-term forecast in terms of when you're going to retire, like you can always take risks earlier on, but when you're just coming closer to the retirement age, this is when you want to start like, you know, making sure that everything is secure. So having real estate and that's paid off and having like the rental income be a part of like, you know, your retirement plan or having, you know, mostly dividend producing companies that's giving you a monthly income as opposed to like, you know, taking risks on stocks like Tesla or taking like, you know, high tech like growth companies that don't offer you a dividend, right? So um, it's all about making a plan, sticking to it, and executing it. Yeah, execution is the number one thing. Now, in light of time, I'm going to ask you a couple more questions, and then we're going to get into what I call the lightning round. Sure. So the second last question is, how do you know you've had a successful day? Um, If my wife's happy. (laughs) Uh, That's a good answer. That's a really good answer. Because <laughs> if I'm really busy and I'm like, you know, like closing deals right and left, it doesn't matter if your your wife's miserable and your kids hate you, right? You got a point there. So last but not least, where do people find you? So I, I'm, you can pretty much find me anywhere, like on like, you know, social media. On uh, TikTok, I have two accounts. I have uh, my uh, Halal Investing platform, Halal Stock Talk. And um, I also have like the Menzel Realty platform there as well. Um, same handles are on Instagram. And um, those are probably the quickest ways to access me. Um, you could probably find me on Menzel's website at menzel.ca. Um, I'm the team lead there. Like I'm the only realty person that's on that website. So um, you can go there and get information about, you know, their products and like about the services that we provide. Fantastic. Now let's get into the lightning round, (laughs) which is going to be two, three questions that are like just fun questions. Like number one, what is your favorite food? Uh, It's either pizza or seafood. It depends on the day. Oh, pizza's good. So is seafood. Yeah. Um, pizza, seafood, pizza, seafood. I couldn't decide either. Yeah. Like, I mean, if it's prepared the Egyptian way, like seafood, 100% all day. Makes sense. Favorite vacation spot? Oh, man. Um, probably as of late, Saudi Arabia. Like, I, I just love going there and, like, you know, soaking in, like, you know, the historical elements of our, my own, like, religion. That's interesting. That is very interesting. Now... If you had a limited amount of money and you had 48 hours to spend it, you get to keep what you spend, but you lose what you don't spend. What would you do? Wow. Um, I would probably get on a flight and go to like remote areas in the world as much as I can, try to help out as many people as possible. And, um, you know, like basically banking for your, um, your, your afterlife as opposed to getting like rewards in this life. Obviously you want to make sure that everyone's taken care of, pay off the house, pay off the cars, put in like a fund that's making you a monthly income. Uh, and then you just want to go help as many people as possible. I probably get on a plane, go to Malaysia, set up like, you know, something for the Rohingya refugees. Like I was a part of like last year, or I'm currently taking part in, um, a uh, venture where I'm helping, I've teamed up with Penny Appeal and we're building wells for those who don't have access to clean water. So I would definitely step up the philanthropy part and just try to like cure as much of like the problems of the world as possible. (laughs) That's friggin' awesome. Nader, I want to say thank you for being on the show, man. Uh, Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. It's been a great one. If you like what you saw and you want to see more episodes, subscribe to the link below.